Welcome into the new Crossing Broadcast here on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Of course, I'm Tony Bruno, joined as always by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel. Not, not Bob's Burgers. Not Bob the Builder. Bob Wankel. Bob, how are you? I'm all right, Ross. How are you? Uh, that 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 is uh, Tony, and uh, over there uh, in the uh, blue corner, you uh, you may know of him as uh, John Kincaid's stepbrother, uh, Kevin Kincaid. Kevin. Beautiful man. Well, uh, well, gents, we got a lot to break down today, and <laughs> before we uh, before we get set up, there's uh, a lot of talk about bells. What's your uh, your favorite bell? We, we're gonna go with the Mount Rushmore of bells. Six one zero six three two. All right, so uh, Le'Veon Bell is uh, is probably gonna come up at some point in the show. Before we get into all of the late breaking news, of course, we're uh, recording this on a Monday evening. There was uh, no Monday show. Surprise. Uh, so Monday evening here, uh, Russ with Bob and Kevin. It's Columbus Day. It's a, it's a holiday. You got to take off for Columbus Day. Yeah. Happy Columbus yeah. Day, everybody. Or in, Indigenous Peoples Day, as some would choose to celebrate. Or uh, Mass Genocide Day, if you're uh, anti-Columbus. But we're going to uh, keep it to sports on the podcast. Let's, yeah. let's go with a, a real quick trivia question. Do you guys know what Christopher Columbus's name is in his, uh, in his traditional language? Was he Italian? He was. It's probably like Mike or something. <laughs> no. Uh, I do not know. You guys don't know? Of course, Vincenzo. Uh, of course, his name was Cristobal Colon. Cristobal Colon in oh, Spanish. Okay, right. In Italian, his name was uh, Cristoforo Colombo. So, so the Eagles going to bring will. in, are the Eagles going to trade for Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Adam Schefter, Bob, do you want to read it? Do you have it pulled up? I do have it pulled up. Uh, So here's the deal. At uh, 722 uh, tonight, Adam Schefter says, Eagles restructured contract of Pro Bowl defensive tackle uh, tackle Fletcher Cox on Friday, creating $6.5 million more of cap space this season and $11.7 million more next season. But Eagles have not pursued a trade for Le'Veon Bell and have no plans to per sources. How do you react to that, guys? So they knew they were going to have to do something somewhere, right? I mean, or else what the hell is the point of doing that? Uh, could have been safety. Could have been another running back besides Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, these are all the moves they were making with Lane Johnson in the offseason, the other guys who who they redid their money, Nick Foles, to – you know, that was all off-season stuff to get other guys in here and make another run at it, right? And then we'll just figure it the hell out next year. Late, you know, kick kick the salary cap questions down the road and kind of figure it out as we go along. But, yeah, I mean, to me, they wouldn't be doing this right now if they didn't see something on the horizon. But the fact that you don't what, – what did, what did that number say, $12 million? Now they're $12 million under the cap after doing that? For next year, yeah. For next yeah, year, yeah. That still doesn't fit Le'Veon Bell under the cap, does it? Still it creates, it, it creates an additional $6.5 million this season. Um, the, they were only the Eagles had, Yeah, and the yeah. Eagles had $3.775 uh, prior to that move. So that does get them <sighs> over the hump uh, to be able to take Le'Veon Bell's contract on, assuming if they wait one more week to do it. Um, if they wait one more week and do it ahead of week seven, uh, it's just a, a shade over nine point million. I mean, they'd be right up against the number. Uh, Joel Corey um, writes for Clayton Football, Kyle's Venture. Uh, he did an awesome piece on on what the Eagles would need to do in order to get under uh, the salary cap to obtain yeah. Bell. And he had kind of mentioned that a, a Fletcher Cox restructure would be the most obvious thing to do. Um, but they'd be right up against it with like the Vikings. They're the only other team that's like under, uh, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in cap space. So, so let me back it. So let me just back it up for a second here. 
Ajayi, we assume, is done for the season. Uh, he goes on IR now with Mike Wallace on there, Richard Rogers on there, Rodney McLeod on there, Mac Hollins. So they have five guys on there. They can only pull two of them off. So um, I don't even know who the hell that's going to be. What Rogers and and Got I don't know, Wallace? If if he's Wallace is is he done for the? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's done. I, I'd rather get Hollins off to be honest. So if you look at the group now, assuming Corey Clement comes back and he's okay, assuming Darren Sproles comes back at some point. Does Darren Sproles, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood, and Josh Adams do anything for you moving forward? No. Um, no. You know, it, not only do they not do it for me moving forward, but that would be under the assumption that they could all stay on the field for the remaining 11 games, right? Yeah. I mean, and there is no uh, no evidence that, that really any of them can do that. And, and that includes Wendell Smallwood, who has played well, uh, you know, in, in limited roles this season, but uh-huh. he's always had injury issues. So I'm extremely concerned about what they have in the backfield right now, among several other issues. But, yeah. no, I think that this, this injury certainly paves the way for them to do something the the division is still eminently winnable it, it's there in front of them as, as bad as this has been now through five weeks it, it's still there for the taking and this is a division that they should win I would be stunned if if especially in light of this news with Cox now that if they, if they didn't do something well let me ask the question this way then say they don't do a you know blockbuster trade for like a Le'Veon Bell or something like that say that your group going forward is Darren Sproles Corey Clement Amir Abdullah and Wendell Smallwood, <laughs> or like a, like a Corey Clement, Darren Sproles, Orleans Darkwa, and Wendell Smallwood. Does that do anything for you? No, it doesn't. And and this kind of comes back to, and I, I'm not trying to dance on the team's grave, but like this is this comes back to me saying weeks ago that I thought this team had too many holes to really do anything this year, and all the talk of 12 and four, even 11 and five, just kind of seemed you know ridiculous. Jay Ajayi was a guy who was playing through a fracture in his back. He He's a guy who has had knee issues in the past, and I think anybody who was being realistic about it knew that Jay Ajayi was going to be able to hold up. The fact that they haven't been able to get any kind of real consistent production or uh, availability out of Darren Sproles and even to some extent Corey Clement, like that's, that's huge in and of itself. This group isn't good enough uh, to lead this team forward, and especially when you've got... A, uh, an offensive line, which I want to get to in a little bit, that has absolutely been a train wreck, to say the, the least. You've got Carson Wentz coming back. I would still argue that he doesn't look the same. He looks like he might have gotten rushed back. He's not fully 100%. And you've got guys on the outside who just aren't getting open. I mean, you're a few Alshon Jeffrey miracle catches away yesterday from what ha- would have been one of the worst overall performances offensively I think we've seen in quite some time. I, garbage I, I garbage stop- time. What? Go ahead. I, I got to stop you. So, like, Carson Wentz rushed him back. I don't. I don't think I agree with that, and I don't mean to come across sounding like a Carson Wentz fanboy here. And though I am, I just. I mean, I think he's played fairly well here. I know that there have been issues where he's held onto the ball too long. He's trying to maybe make plays. Jason Peters alluded to that in his his post game comments yesterday that you know Carson's holding the ball. We have to block longer because he's trying to make plays off the injury. But, I mean, he's he's played very well. In- I don't know why Jason Peters is complaining about having to block longer, considering the fact that Wisniewski, who got, you know, sacrificed to the uh, to the gods, and now Isaac Samalu have had to, you know, in back-to-back weeks go out and essentially help Jason Peters block any guy uh, in a lot of snaps. You know, never mind the, uh, the fact that Peters went out for a long stretch yesterday uh, in the game. But, like... 
I, I, I don't know why Jason Peters, like, I know that he said he needs to play better, and he certainly does, but if you go back and even watch the first, let's say, four series of the game yesterday, anytime Jason Peters is confronted head-on, he seemed to do fine. He didn't get bowled over like Brian Dawkins kind of broke down uh, last week. Westbrook, yeah, but, Westbrook, but, yeah. What, did I say Dawkins? Yeah, oh, yeah my bad, Westbrook. Um, but anytime that a guy goes inside on Peters, it, it is an absolute, absolute bleep show. Like, it is that bad, and if you go back and watch... Anytime a guy has moved inside, uh, Wisniewski in his last game, there were multiple times that he came over to chip in and you know provide some support on Peter's guy, loses his uh, his man. That ends up leading to a sack. It happened a few times with Samalo yesterday. And there were a few times on the first drive and I believe the fourth drive where Peter's either had to more or less face mask his guy or uh, you know try to essentially hold high. Uh, on an outside move. Peters just doesn't have the lateral quickness, so I don't know why he would be complaining. But yeah, like it, it is totally different seeing the way that Carson Wentz is trying to extend plays versus the way that Nick Foles, you know, either made a quick decision or got rid of it within what the first three ish seconds. So it is a style change, but it's it's bad, especially when you don't have anybody in the backfield who can really take the heat off and make a play. That, yeah, that that's quote good, wasn't that's good his... offensive line knowledge out of you, Russ. That's the closest <laughs> yeah, thing. Broke it that's down. The closest yeah. thing you're going to get to. It's uh, like having Bear Brooks locker. on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the closest thing you're going to get to the meat locker now that uh, the meat lockers know more. Duh, come up, Bo. Unfortunately, um, in, in fairness, though, that quote by Peters that was kind of the tail end of it, and I think it was Jeff McLean who who tweeted that specific snippet out it was one part of a longer explanation it wasn't really it, it didn't read the way that McLean made it look like it wasn't just Peter saying like well the offensive line's playing poorly because of Carson Wentz and there were like three sentences mm-hmm. that that kind of preface that by saying we all need to do better I have to do better you know it was it was part of the equation well my like take on the that I wrote um after Doug's presser today was sort of I don't know. Well, it's kind of like a two-part thing. Like, number one, they've been putting Wiz through the ringer for, like, the last year and a half now. Uh, going back to week three, two, three, four. I can't remember when the left guard rotation started last year, but that was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when's the last time you ever heard of anybody rotating or platooning a gu- the guard position in football ever? Um they gave Chance Warmack a, a shot, rotated series for a couple games with him. When everybody knew, everybody that watched the tape knew that Stefan Wisniewski was the better player, clearly. And there was the one bizarre thing that they did last year out of a great coaching year. I don't, I don't know where that came from. You know, We all knew that Wiz was the better player. Warmack got a shot, and then they finally, stubbornly finally went with Wisniewski for the rest of the season, and they won the Super Bowl. So they come back this year, they make a change. It's not Jalen Mills. Obviously, it's not going to be Lane Johnson. Obviously, it's not going to be Jason Peters. You know, if they're going the scapegoat route or trying to make a change to show people that they're making a change when they really secretly, you know, just like this other guy better or they don't like their starting left guard, you know, who's the easiest person to pick? It's Stefan Wisniewski, obviously. <laughs> you know, like, who's the who's the safest person to bench on that line? You're not going to bench any other guys. You're not going to bench Jason Kelsey. So, You're not so going to bench you- Brandon Brooks. He's a pro bowler. So I, I just always feel like they've had – there's something about it that, that they just, it seems like they just don't have the greatest relationship, him and the coaching staff. Or whatever. Well, you, let me pull that really quick. Cause Wisniewski came out and, and his quote was, uh, I'm going to be honest. I've been playing pretty well. I really don't think that was it. I have some theories, but I'm not going to share those publicly. So Wisniewski clearly thinks that he has not done anything to warrant being benched. And again, like I, I think anybody who watches this team, if you're honest over the last you know year, year plus, 
is there anybody who really truly believes that Isaac Semalu is a better pick at left guard than than Seven Wisniewski? I'm not saying that Wisniewski is like going to become the new Brandon Brooks, right? But like he certainly isn't the absolute trash bag they're making him out. And to he be. didn't play left guard. He didn't even play left guard in the preseason. They had him doing. The, they had him taking all the backup center minutes, and he couldn't snap the ball. You know, and they used yep. Semalu a lot last year in jumbo packages. You know, bringing him in as an extra blocker and whatnot. And they say they like his versatility because he can do a lot of different things doesn't mean that you're a starting left guard in the NFL. It's the same with Avante Maddox. You can say that he looks like Rodney McLeod or he's got the same body type or the same skill set or something like that, but the dude never played safety before. So, and you're going to have a rookie play safety when you've got Rasul Douglas sitting on the bench. I just, I don't, I don't know. It just feels to me like things are automatic for them. Do, year. do you feel that he's that weak though? After, after winning a Super Bowl, and, and not to, to harp on that so much, but I mean, this is a guy that, that should be confident as a head coach that, he shouldn't have to pick on the shortest guy in order to get his point across. It, that that reeks of insecurity to me, and it, it doesn't seem. Like I find a, that yeah. surprising. It, I find that very surprising. It seems like if if you know if they're trying to send a message and like bench somebody and make it sound like they're they're moving in that direction to do, to do a personnel change, like it seems like they just tried to do the safest play with it, you know, when they could have really said something by putting Jalen Mills on the bench or putting somebody else on the bench or sort of started with Lane Johnson and then brought him in after a couple series or something like that. I don't know, but you know what I mean? It's like the optics of that make it look like you're trying, but you're not really trying. Ross, can I ask you something you uh, had said a couple of minutes ago? Uh, you don't think, given the, the amount of holes that this team has, that they can really do anything this season, uh, to, to borrow your words. What do you mean by that? I mean, what is the expectation here? When you say really do anything, do you mean make the playoffs, uh, maybe win a playoff game or two, or win the Super Bowl? Is that what you mean by really do anything? Because when I look at this team, uh, certainly there are, are problems here. I think some of them are correctable, um, maybe not all of them. There, there may be some fatal flaws, but I still think that this is a team that wins, and, and I'm resetting the bar here uh, very low, but I think that this is, is potentially a 9 10 win team that wins the East and then they're going to have to play that role of well you don't want to face these guys in the playoffs you know this is a team that's done it before they're going to get at least one home game if they win the division they'll be a four seed they'll be the dangerous team maybe not the best team I think that that will be the course that this team is going to have to take now given the way the first five weeks have played out I, I don't foresee them catching the Rams or you know catching the Saints or you know the, the better teams in the NFC at this point so what do you mean by that well I mean let's kind of look at at this thing and, and break it down a little bit so can they win the division sure the division is trash and we knew that coming into it this, this again is why I, I'm so upset that they've had the start that they've had like I didn't think they were going to beat Atlanta in week one and then they did um the losing to Tampa wasn't wasn't a great showing uh, they barely beat the Colts. It was an ugly performance. They they very likely should have beaten Tennessee. I think that, you know, a few things go a little bit differently. The Eagles win that game yesterday, although two Dan Bailey missed field goals certainly helps make the scoreline a little bit closer. Can they win their division? Sure. Like, I, I'm not saying that anything isn't possible, um, but like to make some noise? No. I, the, what has this team done well this season so far that gives you confidence in them going, you know, going the distance or making a deep playoff run as it currently stands. This defense, you know, I, I I tweeted this out and I want people to honestly think about it for a second. To me, the biggest loss in the offseason wasn't like losing Patrick Robinson or any player like LeGarrette Blunt, whatever. The biggest loss for this team was losing Frank Reich and John DeFilippo. Oh, come on. Don't, t- because don't, both, t- don't do that. I, I will. Because nobody the, knows anything about what they did behind the scenes or what they contributed to this team. They don't even call the plays. Well, Kevin, 
uh, let me let me ask you a, a very simple question. What has this <laughs> offense done well in these first five weeks that no. has made you think that there's anything to trust in Doug Peterson but right said, now? Nobody it's, said it's not, in the summer. Nobody like, said in look, the summer. Well, they're really going to miss John D. Filippo and Frank Wright. Well, I yeah, think because it was I think Doug after, Peterson who was making all the decisions and calling all the plays. So I, you know. Prior to uh, <laughs> prior to his first season as an NFL head coach, Doug Peterson had never really been the guy who calls the plays. You know, give it a few weeks for the Chiefs. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like the offensive game plan that's been put in place uh, in recent weeks has looked a lot like what what Kyle and Adam and I called the tuna can offense last year. I'm not impressed they, with, they with don't, Mike the, Grow the because he. I mean, like I watched, you know, his his offenses in the past. Whatever he was involved with was not very impressive in general. You know, yeah, he was um, he was the wide receiver. I think coach. he, when so, he like, was wasn't he with his dad at Virginia for a while when Virginia was like dog shit and couldn't even. I don't know, football. but you but keep what I'm talking. saying is, let me, let me there's that. there's 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 nothing about this offense so far that has inspired confidence. And this defense, this is where I come back to DeFilippo and, and Frank Reich. So in consecutive weeks, you've gone up against you know Reich and DeFilippo, who have both picked apart this defense. And not enough people right now seem to be kind of you know throwing the light onto Jim Schwartz and his defensive scheme. This isn't a defense that is meant to, you know, go for the shutout. This is a defense that's meant when you have a, you know, 10-point lead, they can send six or send seven, yeah. over overwhelm an offensive line, and get a sack on the quarterback. Yeah, that's but, true. But, but what's happening consecutive weeks now? Actually, well, at three, the same in, time. Hold like, on, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. In three apart. straight weeks, we have watched, yeah, this this defense has given up massive yardage. This, this defense does not do well with a quarterback who can extend a play. So, like... Kirk Cousins is by no means the most mobile quarterback in the world, but he was able to buy time. And how many times it, it felt like the Eagles were, you know, one, two seconds away from getting a sack happened with Marcus Mariota. We saw this last year against Russell Wilson. We saw it to some extent with Andrew Luck being able to extend plays. Even Fitzpatrick, to some extent, has some mobility. The, this defense is not good if they are not able to get to the quarterback. They, they're they sending so many guys. And I come back to the Chris Sims video of him saying you can't put Jalen Mills out on an island by himself. This team, coverage-wise, just does not have the personnel to allow you to send six at a time. And that was the thing that Troy Aikman was was focusing on late in that game yesterday. Look how many times the Eagles are sending six. And they're leaving these guys, you know, wide open, you know, man-to-man in coverage. And they simply don't have the personnel for it. So, Bob, to answer your question in the most roundabout way, the reason I don't think this team can make a deep run right now is because I haven't seen anything on the offensive or defensive side of the ball that, that inspires confidence going forward. You can say that Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate last year, which he was. But a quarterback simply does not get you to the Super Bowl every year. If it did, Aaron Rodgers would be there consecutive years. Aaron Rodgers has won one Super Bowl in his career. He hasn't been back since. Russell Wilson, you know, they leaned on a great defense. They haven't been back since. Joe Flacco, for all of his faults, led the Ravens to a Super Bowl. They have not been back. So, like, these are the things that I, I struggle with, and it seems like the fallback has always been, well, we have Carson Wentz, and that's great, but unless Carson Wentz can also play running back, can also play safety and outside corner, I, I don't see it right now. Oh, I'm sorry, and, and maybe, what, two, three of the offensive line positions? I just don't see it. So, listen, Al, Al Groh, I keep saying Al Groh, what the fuck? Mike Groh. <laughs> not Mike Groh. Legendary not Jets no, head no, coach, no. Al Groh. His his, not Mike Groh, no dirty jobs. His father yeah. is Al Groh. The son is Mike Groh. He was with Al Groh at Virginia for many years in different roles, but he became offensive coordinator there in 2006. He was offensive coordinator from 06 to 08, and then in 09 he went to Alabama, and then Al Groh got fired in 09. So the first year that he was an offensive coordinator of Virginia, they went 5-7. and seven. 
Then they went nine and four, and they lost in the Gator Bowl. And then they went back to five and seven. And then after he left, they went to three and nine. UVA under Al Groh was always a kind of like pedestrian, whatever kind of team. I don't know how great they are. They were they were getting their ass kicked by the likes of like, uh, you know, Florida State and um, who else was good in the ACC back then? Like Virginia Tech, I guess you know. Um, but I, I know there's nothing to your point, Russ. And there's nothing on. I don't. I don't mean to poo-poo that take, but it's like there's just not a lot of like you know evidence that we can find that says how much really DeFilippo or Reich had had to do with the offense you know I mean it's obvious to say well they're not here therefore what is missing but you know the thing that I would think you have going in your favor is that Mike Groh has never really been super impressive anywhere anywhere he's been you can't find anything tangible on his on his resume that says that he was you know world beater guy so I kind of almost feel like we've strayed from the original point, though, which was, do you do a trade for Le'Veon Bell? And and I understand <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was that's how this all started. That's that, that was the from? that was the jumping off point here. So I mean, no. yeah. I know that uh, you know. Th- so I guess the, the the thought then becomes if if they have so many holes, then what the hell's even the point? You know, like are they uh, one superstar running back away from from fixing this mess? I mean, I don't think that the Eagles are winning the Super Bowl. I don't think that they're the best team in the NFC, and I don't think that just because you have Carson Wentz, you have a shot, you know? I think that that's um, a yeah, very yeah. A superficial take, but I, I do think that there's enough here that they can reach the postseason, like I said, and then from there, God knows, well, you know? It's and we all know. To, it's, an, it's, it's just kind of cheesy now for everybody to be like, well, obviously they should have done this instead of doing this, or they should have done this instead of this, and this guy obviously meant more than this guy. Well, no shit. So, like, what we used to say in the television business when I worked in TV, it was like, how do we advance the story? You know, we've been, like, we've been reporting the same um, Bill Cosby shit for from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. to noon and, you know, 6 p.m., right? So what's new? Like, how do we advance the story? Like, the issues defensively, like, you know, Jalen Mills, I wrote about that today too. You know, yes, he got burned for 68 yards on the one play, but they also blitzed a bunch of guys on their, on the play and they didn't get to the quarterback. So was Tim Jernigan a bigger loss than we thought? Was Vidi Curry a bigger loss than we thought? Um, you know, is Avante Maddox a safety moving forward? I just don't – it's not even that they don't have the right personnel. I just don't even feel like guys are being deployed the right way. I don't think, like, Doug's play, Doug's play calling has been that great. I don't think Jim Schwartz is – um, designs have been that great. I honestly think if they had a little bit of better coaching now and a little bit of execution, they'd be a decent team. I don't. I, I still think they have the talent. Um, but this is what I wonder. They they sustain drives, you know, to an extent until they get inside the red zone. They just they don't pop big plays, you know, with the exception of the the Jordan Matthews play, I guess, against Tennessee a week ago. They don't have a guy that I look at and say, "Wow, I'm I'm genuinely scared of him." And yeah, that's no well, knock on Alshon Jeffrey. And and listen, and Zach Ertz is on pace for 131 catches and 1,398 yards and a, this and season. A I, I targets. Under, yeah. yeah, and I understand that he's a great player, but there's not a guy that you scheme. I don't think there's a guy on this defense that you or on this offense that you you truly scheme for. You no, know? but that was why they. So, but that was why they were is, good. Is is no, because they didn't. You didn't have to. You didn't scheme for one person, but they had a lot of capable people. It wasn't like they were top heavy. You know, it was like right. they just, oh, they, I, yeah, they, I understand. You know, that. You know what That's I mean? What I mean, made like them watched, good a year ago? Yeah, yeah. But now that you don't have <laughs> like when one of those guys goes down then it's you know that's it's one less 
corner that they can scheme against. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's I mean, like, subtract two, run, about, subtract think, two running backs and uh, your number two wide receiver from that yeah. now. You know, it's a different ballgame. Next, so next now man you go up out works and up until, a, a up, difference maker. You know, there's diminishing returns on next man up because eventually next man up gets you Josh Adams on a friggin' pitch on oh. third and one. So, I, I, you know. <laughs> I keep coming back to depth, though. So, like... Okay, so wide receiver, right? They they came into the season thinking they were going to have Matt Collins and then they were going to have Mike Wallace. Both of those guys go down. Were the, both of those guys such good impact players that yeah. that like that this team shouldn't be able to overcome it? Baba, like I, I I think I fundamentally disagree with you on Alshon. Like Alshon to me is a guy that the more they get him out in in open space, the more dangerous he becomes. He he seems to be the only real reliable guy. Ertz to some extent has been, although you know if there's one guy that defenses have been trying to shut down, especially with Carson's return, it, it's been Zach Ertz. It's a moment that you would hope that you know making a trade up for Dallas Goddard, you would hope that Dallas would be the guy to get himself open and to you know kind of you know mitigate the the effects of you know a, a double team on Zach Ertz. The problem is they they simply don't have anybody else on the other side. Nelson Aguilar has reverted back to you know 2016 form. Yeah, well, hold on. I mean, he did that, catch all four of his targets yesterday. I mean, oh, he had a big. Thank, thank no, God. I'm I'm just saying, like the guy had a bad game against. He's really Tennessee, blown the top but, off the defense. No, but that's Bob. not he's, what he. He's having, that's he's not what he is. Season. That's not what he is. He was never blow the top off the defense guy. Maybe that's what they drafted him to be. You know, three four years ago, but he's never shown himself to be that, and he wasn't that last year. A lot of times when he made big plays downfield, it was because Wentz extended the play with his legs. He escaped, and then and then there was an you know an ad lib quality to the play I mean that's that's what they did with him I mean he had a bad game against Tennessee but uh, you know I don't I'm I'm out on this like he's he's reverted back to 2016 thing I just I totally disagree with that and to your point about Alshon Jeffrey I love Alshon Jeffrey but if we want to talk about targets being a truly elite playmaker I don't need to get into a conversation about is he a one or a two because I think he's a good player that you win with and I love the guy but he had two catches All on right, eight Sean targets Gruden. Two catches on eight targets yesterday. That's not good enough. That's not that's not going to get it done. Yeah, take there were that, balls Russ. that Alshon Jeffrey should have won yesterday that would have been game changers, and he didn't win them. And and I know that I'm that's recency bias. Um, I'm looking at the game that just happened. He also had what two two uh first down yeah, catches it was a great that, catch. that saved that saved drives. It was a great catch. So yeah, he might have given any. He also took away. So okay, fine. Like if if that's the argument for yesterday, then okay. Russ, but this got, is all to say that I think that you do need. I did. I, did, I, I think you I, need to go out and you have to get a difference maker. And I know that that's very difficult to do week six, week seven of an NFL season. It's just that is not the norm. And so it's the new norm. And I love that, by the way. Um, but, you know, it's just like one of those I things where. I want the old norm. Yeah, yeah. Give me 11 and 5 in disappointment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. That's. I, they're screwed. Can we um can we play <laughs> can't a, say that. can we do a exercise on this podcast? I don't like exercising. That's Go not, ahead, it's Kevin. not that kind I of exercise. We... I'm gonna read a list of uh, bullet points to you and I want you guys to tell me if this if these are true or false, okay? True or false, Jalen Mills gave up a sixty eight yard reception. You already said it, true. True or false, the Eagles blitzed on that play and did not get to the quarterback. True. True or false, Jalen Mills had two pass breakups in the red zone on the same drive. True. True, True or false, Jalen Mills looked like an idiot jawing at Adam Thielen after that. True. True. True or, True or false, you tweeted this out. True or false, Jalen Mills uh, had his third pass breakup on a third and two to force a field goal attempt. 
I'm not even playing this game anymore. I'm sick of your truth. True or false, Ronald Darby gave up the touchdown to Thielen. That is true. Well, that was yeah, a great pass, and I don't think he, can. he had pretty good coverage in that too. Uh, that was a missed time ball, though. That actually was kind of disappointing. So here's see. here's the uh, here's the point. The point of the exercise is that we know by now that Jalen Mills has kind of been the you know the the whipping boy, kind of the poster child for the whole the defense is playing like shit kind of thing. And I'm not saying that he's playing well. I don't think he's playing well. Um, but people, when they watch him, <laughs> see the thing with the thing with Jalen Mills. My thing with Jalen Mills is that. His mistakes, when he commits them, you know, he gets torched for 50 yards down the field. Or he commits a horrendous pass interference 30 yards down the field or something like that. So it's very easy to identify, and it looks like shit because the the mistake is more damaging overall. Now, that doesn't mean that the frequency or the volume of his mistakes is any more than any other player on the team. But I feel like because of that, like with the absence of context with the way that people look at it, because nobody watches a damn shred of film anyway, you know, um, I just think like he's we're not getting the full story with him. Now, that said, I don't think he's he should be a number one outside corner on this team. He's a seventh round draft pick. He's seventh round talent who ended up here because we didn't have anybody else. You loved Sidney Jones so much that you drafted him while he was injured. He was a first round talent who dropped to the second round because of the injury. So why like. I know I'm doing the same thing I just accused everybody else of doing, which is revisionist history. But, again, with the personnel, I think they have enough talent there. I just don't know why it's deployed the way it is. Move Jones to the outside. Put Maddox on the inside if you love him a lot. Have Rasul Douglas come in and play dime corner safety or whatever the hell. It just just doesn't feel to me like Jalen Mills' skill set makes sense for what he's doing right now. Which true I or think false? Is that you fair? are absolutely right? Yeah, I think that's. I think you're absolutely right. It's not that Jalen Mills is the you know the problem. He he is a problem mm-hmm. though. He's one of many problems, and you're right. He probably is taking the brunt of of the criticism and the ire right now from the fan base. It's just it's easy to kind of go that way when you look at the games and you see him getting torched for big plays, but. You know, I think that Doug Peterson and somebody had tweeted this out, one of the beat guys, you know, people should be thankful right now for, you know, in that organization for Jalen Mills because he's taken a lot of crap that that really should be diversified amongst several people. Um, I think that that's definitely a true point. You need to diversify your bonds, as uh, the Jizza once said in the Dave Chappelle skit. But listen, the other thing that I had a major problem with um, from the game and let me just read Doug's quote from today. It was about running the ball because they only ran it 12 times yesterday. They actually they ended up with 17 runs, but Carson, five of those were Carson's, um, you know, scrambles or sacks or whatever the hell, right? So I think the split ended up being 41 dropbacks to 12 runs. I don't know if they were trying to limit Ajayi because of the back thing or if they didn't trust that injury or they didn't trust Smallwood or if it was a little bit of them also playing from behind. But Doug said today, quote, um, you know, if we're having success running the football, sometimes we continue to run the football. I look at the beginning of the second half. I think there were seven runs in that drive, and we ended up turning it over. Look, it's definitely a fine line. You'd love to have balance. We got in a situation where he fell behind. Even in third quarter, it was 20-3, to three and we were working ourselves back. I love to run the football. I think our guys are good at it. We've been successful at it, but blah, blah, blah. You can't get back fast enough. The first play of the game was an RPO. It was a run. It was a called RPO. It was a run pass option. We elected to throw it, so that's a 50-50 run pass. The second down was a shot play, and we were at third and seven, so we had six plays in the first quarter. So, I, I mean, I get what he's saying. He's he's not wrong there, you know. It, but but in, at, in the first half yesterday, they ran the ball four times and they threw it 18 times. And it was not 17-3 to three until there's 20 seconds left in the first half. It was a 3 nothing game for a long time. It was a 10-3 to three game for a long time. And they, he just didn't throw the ball. So, 
He can say that all he wants, but I'm looking at the notes that I wrote down. I'm looking at what ESPN logged here. I'm looking at the film again. They did not try to establish the, the run early, and, and then they started throwing under center play action passes. How are you, how you going to run play action when you don't run the ball in the first place? Nobody's sold on that shit. Like, this is stuff that they just weren't doing last year, and it's baffling to me. It's even more baffling because they've been successful when they have elected to run the ball. I mean, you know, uh, what, Ajayi had, what, eight carries, 29 yards, Smallwood, three carries, 27 And this is the same thing, Bob. This is the same thing with last year. Remember how we were all like, well, remember LeGarrette Blunt only got like one carry in the Kansas City game that was wiped out because of a penalty or something. And then when they started giving LeGarrette Blunt the ball week four, week five, week six, it was right around the same time. Guess what happened? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the San Diego game was when he popped off. He had a, a huge run against the Char- or whatever they are, the L.A. Chargers. He had a huge run to finish off that game. Yeah, the quarter, and Corey Clement had some good, th- um, some, some good third, third yeah, down runs. And, so and you watch too, the yeah. game yesterday, and, and you wonder uh, when when they fumble at the five-yard line in the opening drive of the third quarter, is, is that a different outcome with LeGarrette Blunt in the backfield? As I believe he scored two touchdowns. He got his first two TDs of the year mm-hmm. uh, against Green Bay yesterday. And again, a revisionist history for sure, but this is very clearly uh, on a lot of levels not the same team and is some of it is I think because of weaker personnel I think some of it is just from a philosophical standpoint and and just it, it I just feel like and and Kevin I think you're gonna swat this down uh, because this is <laughs> this is the thing that will drive you nuts but I believe this I believe that teams kind of have this this it factor, this thing about them. And last year it just felt like, and I know that you have to do it, you know, it's about physical execution, but Mm -hmm. they just had this sense of of calmness about them. Like you knew that in a big spot they would do it. And this year it kind of feels like when they get to that same big spot, they're not going to do it. And I almost feel like they know it. Well, it's like, yeah, dude, it's like, it's, well, I mean, that goes hand in hand with the underdog thing. It was easy to play the disrespect card and say nobody likes us and we don't care and blah 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 and do the dog excuse dog me please take the stuff. hand out of there thank you all right sorry um, I forgot that that Millwall where that was stolen from they don't do that um, you know the, it's it's very um, I don't want to say it's naive Borrowed or from, it's immature stolen. but it's very it's very entry level. Yeah, it's very entry level motivational to say that guy doesn't like me and I'm going to prove him wrong. You know. The next level, the evolution of that, and really the pinnacle of motivation and performance is when you can self-motivate, when you can say, you know what, I'm a badass motherfucker, and I, and I know it. I don't need to prove anything to anybody because I'm the best, and I'm going to take everybody's best shot. You know, Muhammad Ali, uh, I don't know who it's, Serena, Roger Federer, <laughs> Khabib the other night. <laughs> You know, killing Connor and then jumping over Isn't the fence. Isn't it the same Khabib? Isn't it Khabib? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not really good. I don't know much about Dagestan and how they pronounce names over there. But um, but you know what I'm saying? It's like that now you are on a different level of self-motivation and performance, and you can't just roll out that, like, entry-level line of, well, they don't like us and we're going to prove them wrong. Like, you need to, to, to evolve the way that you, you approach it. And I, I think that it was just easy for them to play with a chip on their shoulder. Now they don't have a chip on their shoulder. They're doing, you know, they did books and they, they're doing, you know, stuff in the community and they're doing whatever with their money and you're enjoying the Super Bowl and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm, of course, like mentally, it's well, well here's different. a silver they're, lining. If they've com- read the papers or gone on Twitter or listened to sports talk radio uh, over the last week or two, they should start hearing the doubts again. I mean, do, do they hear uh, that, or are they just are they satisfied? Or are they just saying, "Well, you know, we did it, so f you and uh, you ungrateful bastards." Yeah, you know, I don't know. We, Maybe we, so. we gave I you. Think, I think you, it's. Yeah. I think it's that. Why? And, and honestly, like, why can't it be that? It be that? 
you know, but, but, but like, nobody it, wants it. But people but, want it like, to be that without getting back to like I, I Angelo Cattani. You know, I, I, win, I know winning. People, is I know people an, want it to be, but like you've reached the pinnacle of your sport, and if if your choices are to like let's say play through injury or do whatever, do whatever it takes, and and like you have a championship under your belt, you might not be willing to put it as as much on the line, right? Like. This is, like, I, I have no idea what's going on with Clement or with Sproles or any of these other guys who are hurt. I'm not saying that they're, they're faking or that they're, you know, making a, a, a mountain out of, a, of an anthill. But, like, I don't know. If, if you've won a title and you've brought a title to the city, you know, they win and everybody says, these guys are never going to have to buy a single meal or buy a drink ever again in Philadelphia. Well, you know, we wondered how long it was going to take for the fans to start to turn on this team if they didn't play well. And it's it's slowly but surely happening. And it's okay. It's, it's all right to hold these guys accountable. It's not the same group that won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. And and so, like, I think that's the thing that people are having the hardest time, you know, rectifying here or, or wrapping their heads around. You know, I, I look at a guy like Jason Kelsey, right? Three years ago, four years ago, what was it, Chip? Three years ago, uh, Chip Kelly's here. Four. And yeah, four. It, four? Okay. And in the aftermath, everybody's saying, well, man, you know, Kelsey was the perfect center in that system. But whenever they get a traditional coach and Kelsey's undersized and there was, you know, a large contingent of the fan base who was ready to get rid of Jason Kelsey. Well, he goes and dresses like a mummer, gives an all time speech. And all of a sudden the guy can do no wrong. Now, I haven't done breakdowns on Jason Kelsey. Could it stand to reason that, you know, he might, uh, you know, be partially responsible for what's happening on the line? Sure. He's the center. He's the guy who calls out the coverages like fine. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, some of these guys, they've become, you know, immortalized or they're, they're icons in the fabric of Philadelphia sports history. And it's OK for those guys to not play as well. It's it's OK for them as humans to not want to put it all on the line like they did when they were you know pursuing the pinnacle of the sport. But like at the same time, th- these guys just they don't have that fire. They don't look like they do. If they had the fire, I hate it as much as Jalen Mills was flexing because he looks like an idiot. Like Jalen Mills, of all the people, he goes on Twitter, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, saying, you know, keep the talking going. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to we're gonna fix it. Keep that he same out, energy. Keep Yeah, that. Keep that same energy. He goes out, he's flexing yesterday on Adam Thielen, who absolutely shredded. He roasted him and, and Darby like they were two suckling pigs at a luau. And all of a sudden, you know, we're supposed to sit back and, and like, I, I don't know, in one hand, I'm like, okay, well, there's at least passion on Mills. At least he's getting up and he's jawing. Isn't that what we want? But then at the same time, I feel like the fan base is like Fletcher Cox in that moment, where we're all just like, dude, shut up and get on the sideline. Like, you made one play. I, I feel like this team, in its own way, it, they have not fractured. Like, I don't think that the team is, you know, pitting themselves against each other. But I, I think we're beginning to see some of the, the ugly things that happen with losing. We saw it happen with the Sixers. We saw it happen with the Phillies. These things start to happen when things start going sideways and you're not winning games. There there are some wrinkles that show up. There are some cracks that show. And it's okay, uh, but you know, winning cures all. If they can turn it around, then everything's fine. But right now, again, I, I come back to it, and I don't mean to be a, a pessimist here, but like nobody has done anything that well on this team so far this year that makes me think that, you know, they can turn around and, and be a legitimate contender. So do you agree with Gary Cobb when he says this? I, I would go to drastic measures. I think they need to go on a fast. But what kind of fast? <laughs> Not food fast. What? The boys need to be cut off. From what? From sex. <laughs> I'm glad Mike Jericho You think that would make a difference? You think that's they, the issue? They They're getting too much? Well, I- uh, the look of horror on Kristen Rogers' face as uh, Gary Cobb suggests celibacy to solve the season. 
Yes, Wasn't let's take a, a that, bunch that of was guys. Alex, that, was that Alex Holly and Mike Jarrett? Uh, yeah, let me hear. Let me rewind. Uh, yeah, yeah that, I Jarrett, think that probably was. It's the Fox Fox Morning yeah, Show. It was. They're funny. Yeah. I'm, of course, Mike Jarrett's the one who uh, who knew exactly who was talking about. <laughs> Sex. I feel, I feel like there was a what? I feel like there was a MythBusters episode about this, wasn't there? Uh, well, all I know is that um, in 2010 they tried to do that to the England uh, World Cup team, and it was it like horribly backfired on them. So I don't think that's ever really worked, ever, in the history of anything. Kevin, do you find that you blog better after a, a cold cold spell? Um, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. But we have a question here um, on Twitter. This is from. Uh, cog, cog, cogin, cogin, toboggan, <laughs> whoever the fuck that is. Um, who or what is the U- Union? Is that the new roller hockey franchise? Yeah, it is. Thanks for uh, thanks for that question, uh, Coggin. Um, did you guys have any? Too bad we don't. Uh, too bad. Too bad we don't talk about the uh, the only team in Philadelphia to make the playoffs in recent memory, and of course the seventy sixers. That is the uh, Philadelphia oh, Union. Man. Well, you know what? Yeah, no, let's kind of. save we, them the for the end. Let's save them for the end. Um, okay. Let's yeah. do. There, there actually is a. Here's a question. Uh, a question for Bob. Hello, uh, Bob. This has nothing to do with the Eagles. Are you prepared? Yeah, I think so. With this Dodgers situation, realistically, what kind of trouble is uh, Gabe Kapler in, and could the Phillies fire him over this? From what I understand so far, Cap could be in some serious trouble if it goes as badly as it looks. Uh, you want to give people a little bit of uh, backstory on what's happening with the Dodgers? Yeah, I'll try to give you a, a, a very uh, brief overview of this. The Dodgers um, are under investigation right now. Actually, a, a couple different teams in Major League Baseball are under investigation uh, for basically uh, human trafficking. <laughs> um, it's It more or less comes down to uh, the way that certain prospects um, in Cuba and, and a few other countries are being uh, siphoned uh, to the United States, basically. And there are specific questions about um, Dodger scouts uh, and, and some of the Dodgers personnel and how they have uh, maybe participated in this trafficking and to what degree and what extent and who knew what. Uh, long story short, uh, Gabe Kapler was their director of player development for a few years when uh, some of these accusations had been made. And, uh, you know, basically there was a story in Fangraphs today, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. It was the first time that I really saw not just Gabe Kapler, uh, you know, Gabe Kapler had been previously tied to this, but this particular story sort of mentioned, like, could he potentially be charged with a crime um, in a violation of the RICO Act, um, which is like a racketeering thing. Um, not Uncle Rico. Yeah, how am I doing here? I'm like, I'm trying to put this in like, no, I'm good. trying to put this in like seventh grade terms, basically. No, that's so that's, that's long, the education level of <laughs> yeah, our yeah, listeners. No, no offense, <laughs> listeners. Uh, um, but you know, so long story short, yeah, like there may be some potential issues for Gabe Kapler here. Uh, I have a source uh, that I've been speaking to, and and you guys know who uh, that would be. Uh, but I've been speaking to the source, and I can't divulge that information at this point, but that source had simply just kind of said to me, like, I I don't know, but it's something to, I'm a little bit surprised that people aren't talking about this, and and now it's starting to, it looks like at the very least, it's picking up some steam now. Um, I ultimately don't, if if you're asking me to make a guess, I mean, I'm not part of an investigation, It, it doesn't, I don't think he will ultimately take the fall for this, but... I think he's going to have to answer some pretty difficult questions, and and he may have a couple uncomfortable moments, you know, in front of a. You know, an well, FBI it'll be agent. an interesting cross section because for the first time ever, the demographic that hates analytics will also be cheering for the federal government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about somebody who's picking up some steam? Uh, 
uh, former future Philly Manny Machado hit a three-run home run against mm. the uh, Atlanta Braves. Yes. So, uh, and uh, that was the the clincher because that game has just ended. So it will be the Dodgers in the NLCS for I believe the third year in a row. Who are you guys pulling uh, for? Are you pulling for the the Red Sox, um, the Yankees, or no. a huge meteor to just fall? Uh, let me tell you something. Oh, in that particular series, I actually think I I would rather see the Yankees win at this yes! point. Yes. And yes. uh, I will tell you who's going to the World Series out of the National League, and that will be the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, For man. the reason that I wow. mentioned earlier, which is the it factor, that team has Ryan it right Braun. now. They're, real, they're really good. The it, uh, the they're it, really good. The and it being steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They haven't lost a game uh, since, I believe, September 23rd. They are uh, out of their minds right well, now, they can, and they're playing really well. How's the Hammer doing these off. days? Is he, is he hitting some, some bombs? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still playing well. You know, he was awful for my fantasy team this year, yeah. so he can. Uh, he can go well, play. Milwaukee yeah. and Cleveland would be a great ML for MLB ratings, I think. So, let's, let's <laughs> you know, now that I've stepped away from that that question about Kapler for a second, let me just say, I I do think that that's going to be a story. Like, I don't think that that's just something that we've heard the last of. What um, the, uh, the the Kapler thing? Yeah, like, I don't think the guy's going to jail, and I do think he'll be the Phillies manager next season, yeah. if I had to guess, but I do think that uh, that is a story, and I think that that is a story that will continue to pick up steam. There you go. Um, so that's Russ, fun. did you fun. catch any of the Sixers today? <laughs> Monday. I did. I, did. I, I always like the 8 o'clock games. I find them yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, I get used to uh, these. Um, I, I feel like I now understand what the draw of living in Hawaii is. It's not the beaches. It's not the beautiful weather. It's yeah. just getting to watch professional sports earlier in when the When you day. write out Hawaii, do you do the, uh, the, apostrophe the apostrophe in the I, or do you just do the old school way, the two eyes? No, nah, I, 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 uh, I Americanize it. There's, there's no, uh, what did they, uh, no what did they do today? Um, they didn't shoot that well. Um, Mark Hill Fultz had what? 5,018. He fouled minutes. out. Was that? Yeah, he fouled out in the and, fourth uh, quarter. He didn't have a great China trip. Um, Can we talk about Chi- Fultz for a China, second? China, as Donald, Donald China. Trump would say. China. Can, this, this is an issue that I'm, I'm finding with Sixers Twitter, which I'm becoming even more annoyed with than normal. And I, I used to consider myself a, a real part of Sixers Twitter. Markel Fultz hit 1-3. 1-3 in four preseason games. And the moment he hit it, Sixers Twitter became, oh, he's back. He's back, man. He's willing to take that three. He hit that corner three. He hit it in stride. He looks great. He's totally yeah, back. But you can't be no. back if you were he never hit... there in the first place. So. Bingo. Thank yeah. you. He hit one three. And all of a sudden, everybody's ready to, like, you know, they're ready to, to crown him as the second coming. And it's like, well, no. Is he willing to shoot jumpers? Yes. There there was a series, I think it was in the second quarter today, there were, uh, he, he did a pull-up jumper from just inside the free throw line. Two possessions later, he hits a, a baseline jumper. Looked good. Looked fluid. He had no issues. Yeah. And and look, if he's, if he's able to, you know, have a consistent mid-range game, uh, that's fine. We still haven't really seen Ben Simmons shoot any jump shots, which I still find troubling. But, you know, to keep it on faults, the idea that now all of a sudden because he hit 1-3, he's fully back is nonsense. And this report that now the Sixers might be entertaining the idea of having Markel Fultz start and then have J.J. Redick start second halves is idiotic at best to me. It it uh, just feels it feels so strange. It almost feel it doesn't feel quite as stupid, but almost as stupid as Tampa Bay running their closer out to start games and the concept of a starter instead of going with a closer. Well, like I just I, yeah, but I think I, people are I, over. I think people it. are overthinking that. I mean, I, Brett said a couple weeks ago, like specifically, like with a guy like Manu Ginobili, who was JJ JJ Reddick's getting up there in age. Like when it, it, the last couple of years with him for the Spurs, they would play him the last seven minutes of every quarter, you know, and they just stack it so that he was in for. 
the most meaningful moments and the clutch moments down the stretch. I know Mark Hell's probably going to have to learn that eventually, but that's not the worst thing going forward because you can still play Reddick, Covington, Sarge, and Bede Simmons as, as your five at the end of games, but you're either going to be okay either way in that department because either you're playing Simmons next to Fultz as a one-two in the starting unit or you have you know J.J. Redick as your shooting guard coming off the bench, probably the best bench shooter in the entire league at this point if that's what happens. And then maybe Landry Shamit's good enough as a combo guard and a ball handler as a rookie to, to have him and Redick um, play as a one-two. And if not, then Foltz is your point guard off the bench and Shamit is your shooting guard. You know, So I, I, I think they're fine. I don't think it fucks with them like in the long term or it's like, Something that's, you know, a huge monkey wrench in what they're trying to do. But, you know, either way, Markel's going to get a ton, ton of minutes this year. And, and he's going to have to learn to play off the ball f- at some point, you know. So even if he plays with the second unit this year, they still need to play him off the ball because he's not going to be bringing the ball up the floor when he plays with Simmons whenever he's ready. So I don't know. Not to sound like Bill Simmons, but are we sure that Dario Sarge should be ending games for the Sixers? I can't stand Bill Simmons, like, dude. Can, I... we, can we have a, could we potentially see a lineup where uh, Cove moves to the four? I, I, I don't know. Like, at like, at, at know. end of games, it gives you it gives you spacing. You would have, uh, what, Simmons? You'd have Redick, Fultz together, Covington. Maybe Covington plays a three and, and Ben kind of moves to a four. Yeah, you could do and that. And then Embiid yeah. at center. I mean, yeah. you would have you would have five guys who theoretically could all shoot Wilson a three. Wilson Chandler can go down and play some four two. Uh, Mike Mescal yeah. played, got the start today because Dario wasn't ready. He hasn't. Mescal has looked okay. Not really that impressive, though. But but they have they have options. Man. I mean, think about who they're bringing off the bench at, at this time last year. It was Jared Bayless, Timothy Luau Cabarro, and and an injured Justin Anderson. Justin Anderson. You know? So, yeah. I mean, I think they're in good shape going forward. Mark, I would have liked for yeah. Markel to have a better Shame preseason, it. but. Shamit looks good. I, I do think, though, Fultz, if nothing else, and, and this kind of comes away from, from my initial rage, mm. but shooting aside, Marco Fultz has the ability to become the best shot-blocking guard since probably like an in his prime Dwayne He's Wade. got long arms, man. His, yeah, a his, he's got downs. a six-foot-nine. Yeah. He's, what, six-four with a six-nine wingspan. And if nothing else, like I think he looks like a drunk playing. He kind of looks like a kid who hasn't really figured out that his body has expanded. He's got yet. interesting movement, um, doesn't he? It's kind of right. Like he's he's like herky jerky. Yeah. Like yeah, in a it's in a weird way. Like James. Yeah, okay. I think that's it. Uh, James Harden is herky jerky, but like looks like he understands his body. Fultz kind of looks like a kid who just hit puberty and is like, "Wow, I'm I'm like a foot taller than I was last year, and my voice is lower." Yeah, you know? language like, was the word. I, I, I feel like he hasn't for, yeah. he hasn't really seemed to kind of get in tune with his body Bob, yet. But Bob, we're gonna leave you with the final word on the 76ers. <laughs> I actually have a question about this as I'm listening to you guys talk. I'm clearly outside of a, you know my depth here. Um, you guys talking about like, well, you know, Fultz starts, closes, you know, Reddick coming off the you know, start in the second half, all this stuff. How much of this really matters in the grand scheme of things? Like when I look at baseball, Anthony and I spent uh, an entire season talking about where Carlos Santana should hit in a lineup. And at the end of the day, the bench. What did it really? <laughs> what did it really matter if he hit second or fourth or fifth? It, at best, maybe a game, two, three here or there. Does it really impact the overall direction of the team? Does it? Does it impact the overall output of the team? Not, like, not, is it just? Is it? Is it just a talking point? Something to kind of argue about, like how? we would with baseball or is there really a a significance to it no i think it's more of an optics thing overall right if somebody's a starter you know it's thought that they're better than other players you know but the one thing that that would would matter is that you know he'd be playing a chunk of second quarter minutes where he'd be playing against second units you know if he's a starter it's gonna be first unit versus first unit for the most time for the most part you know but at the end of the 
at the end of the game, I mean, for the final like ten minutes of a game, final twelve minutes of the game, all the starters are pretty much out there anyway. So, you think giving him that title does anything for him from from a confidence really standpoint? I mean, it could. You know, there could be something to it. Yeah, I mean, because it seems like he's a kid who's got a very I don't want to say fra- I don't think fragile is the right word, but it's a very like um, he's gone through could, a lot. Yeah, I mean, he, it's not, he he's not traumatized, he could use a but push like he's that. he's gone yeah. through a lot. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I the, the interesting thing to me is that it the biggest takeaway for me is that. Markel's existence at shooting guard changes how Ben plays versus having JJ there because you've seen that Ben is actually doing a lot more stuff off the ball with Markel now. Um, it's not to say that he's not, he's still not, he's Ben is bringing the ball up the floor. He's a primary ball handler, but JJ is not a, a point guard. Markel can occasionally bring the ball up, and Simmons has found a lot of success. You know, getting in the high post, getting in the low post, drawing fouls there as well. One of the rules of emphasis with the NBA this year is that they're cracking down on the restriction of movement uh, all over the court. So Ben Simmons, all of a sudden, you got a six ten point guard up your ass in the low post. You're going to foul him. So it just changes the dynamic a little bit of, of how the rest of the guys play. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think it matters that much. That's why I wonder if we're going to see less Dario with the starting group. Especially late in games, because I feel like Dario and, and Joel, and we said this at the end of last season, but those guys both like to patrol the same area. They both like to get in low. They both like to get in deep. And because Ben is finding so much success out of the post, like, yes, high post-wise, it, it's giving them a totally different dynamic. But him being able to get open and, and really take advantage of all kinds of mismatches uh, in the low post kind of you know creates even an even bigger glut. And Dario still has not been able to show, and and hopefully throughout the course of the season he will be able to, but Dario needs to improve his three-point shot. And if he does, then you don't have quite that glut because maybe it doesn't have to be Joel that has to go out to the top of the arc in those situations. Well, he like, was a good sh- – Dario, Dario be, improved his shot a lot last year. I think he was up 6 or 7% seven, six yeah, from three, I'm, you know. I think the, the biggest issue more than that is that who do they have behind and beat at the five? I mean, Amir Johnson's – Whatever, um, you know, Jonah Bolden's not ready. Mescala is going to play the. Mescala's can you play not, Mescala and Saric like a Saric and Ilyasova last year? I don't. I don't. Maybe. I think maybe. he could. Yeah, it's not. It's not ideal. I don't think Mescala's as good nice as Ilyasova. I don't think he's that, as good as Bielitsa was. I mean, honestly, I, I think I think the backup. I think the big depth is probably. If there's any weakness on this team, assuming that Fultz ends up being a decent player, I mean, I think depth wise, it looks like they got a lot of good shooters off the bench, but I don't. I don't. Their backup big situation is kind of kind of bleh that's where i kind, kind of think of they're, they might start to go to, to more to some more small ball lineups they can do this against other teams in the east the the size simply isn't there you, there there is potentially if if brett really wanted to there there are scenarios where you could see ben pull a magic and play center in small ball five lineups dario could play the five in small ball lineups like that's why so i i understand what you're saying if you think about it in a traditional sense sure like it, it could be problematic if you were going to get matched up night and night and night out against like an anthony davis and like a, i don't know if you want to go with julius randall at the four for for new orleans like maybe that's a thing if you wanted to line up against like cat and and um minnesota then like yeah maybe that kind of front court size doesn't allow you to take advantage as much with small ball lineups but in a in a league that has become relatively positionless, uh, I don't think you need to be kind of held to these constraints of what traditional basketball positions dictate. So I, I do think that we are going to see some, you know, more frequent uses of like a, a Ben or a Dario at the five or a Ben at the four. And, and that kind of lets you bring in guys like Landry Shamit and you can kind of figure out if these guys really are going to be, you know, legitimate pieces for you out on the wing. Plus, like Wilson Chandler at the three is not bad. Wilson Chandler as a small ball four, like... I think they're going to get 
you know, uh, some pretty interesting looks going, at least early in the season, and, and experiment with it. They should. I mean, ultimately, it's a top three team in the East with their eyes closed. So, you know, it's okay to experiment. And, and I guess kind of back to Bob's original question, yeah, you know, for Fultz's mental state, it probably does something to be the starter. But, you know, he has to close out games. If there are people right now who are advocating for Fultz starting but not closing out games, uh, I think we would be doing a, a grave injustice to, you know, saying what, what the real situation is with this team. Fultz is like the one guy that they desperately missed in the playoffs last year. Not shooting-wise, obviously, but but frame-wise. We talked about the fact that this team didn't have the ability to defend against, you know, Boston's wings. They can't keep up speed. They can't keep up in terms of length. Well, Fultz with a 6'9 wingspan can. And if nothing else, whether, you know, regardless of if the shot is falling or not, defensively, he's exactly what they need. But he needs to get those crunch time minutes. If he's getting pulled out last three, four minutes of the game because you don't think he can handle it, you know, that wouldn't be, you know, optimal for this team going forward. So that's three teams down. Um, does anybody have a JVR hot take? Yeah, it sucks. So the Jordan, only, Jordan the Wheels the next dude up. They're just going to throw him on the third line, right, and just move it forward. Yeah, yeah. So, but the, knowing um, Haxtell, he'll probably my, piss around with it and move somebody where they don't need to be. My assumption would be they should be they should be they should be moving Wheel up to the third line. The reason that Wheel has been sitting in the press box is because they simply didn't want him on the fourth line. They find him to be you know a top nine forward. And oddly enough, in this Dave Haxtall system, in this traditionalist hockey sense, instead of actually skating out, you know, four solid lines that can actually skate up the ice and drive play, uh, they don't want to do that. So if Jordan Wheel can't be in the top nine, they'd rather have him sit on the bench and have, you know, alleged alleged cocaine kingpin uh, Yori Laterra yeah. out there <laughs> the on the Finnish, ice. So, the uh, Finnish Scarface. Um, yeah, so, I don't. I don't. Um, J- JVR being out is rough, but the the resurgence of Wayne Simmons kind of helps. Helps you on the power play, and it certainly I'm helps you. I'm just glad they know. went out and beat the shit out of Vegas in Vegas. Because when you when you bring nice. Imagine Dragons out before your <laughs> playoff game, and you put us through that horse shit, like you don't deserve to win. This is ice hockey. This isn't like you know over. You love Imagine Dragons, don't they? Do the uh, the ESPN college <laughs> football song this year? Yeah, oh, I love it. I, yeah. I hear it at least 30, 30 <laughs> times every morning. Um, and then uh, I watch college game day every Saturday morning, and I watch college football all Saturday because I prefer college football to the NFL. But um, we're fine. A lot of people love a lot college. Of people love college football. Love and Imagine Dragons, yeah. but a lot of people hate and Imagine you know Dragons. What? I just have they become the look, new I'll Nickelback? Give you a, uh, Does anybody I'll give still you an, listen an to Imagine Nickelback? Dragons? Take <laughs> um, Imagine Dragons. Their very first like EP or album or whatever the hell it was kind of like an indie rock. It was kind of like a you know what it sounded like. It sounded like the Killers. Right, I can get down with the killers. Okay. All right, they weren't bad, you know. Um, what I can't get down with is this like sh- this just computer program shit, like auto tune crap, all a bunch of overproduced like you know industry corporate crap or whatever. So no, I don't think that co- the theme of college football should be Imagine Dragons. Nor did I think it should be Thirty Seconds to Mars last year. It should be like it, you know. Can I give you an, an Imagine Dragons hot take? Absolutely. If I walked out my front door tomorrow morning to go to work and Imagine Dragons was playing on my lawn, they were all there, they were all plugged in, mm-hmm. and they had a show on my lawn, I would walk by them, <laughs> get into my car, and go to work. I would unplug, uh, that's a good Imagine Dragons take, <laughs> I would unplug all of their equipment and I would plug in my uh, phone 
and I would just flip to like whatever. What, what do I have on here? Like typo negative. I think I was listening to today. I'll, I'll like I'll give you like a Pantera or something. You know. So like I have complete indifference to Imagine Dragons, whereas you would you would actively these fuck with like them. yeah listen these that's good man the hate I is real look, I, imagine been... imagine Dragon an entire team bereft of talent up and down the field that's what Carson Wentz has been trying to do for imagine a couple a good of weeks song. and on that note no I just listen like I don't know what people listen to to get pumped up these days like it used to be back in the day if you played football you listen to Metallica or like you know at least at least be, people would listen to corny like radio stuff like like disturbed or like a what's another radio it's like a drowning pool or something like that but now it's like you got like people rolling i remember when i was covering the union like in 2010 or 2011 they did a uh, a poll as to what all the players were listening to in the locker room and somebody named like the lumineers like that ho ho hey hey, hey ho what the hell is that song called? yeah that's my wedding song okay well that's a difference there's a difference sure, between getting down, married down, and getting pumped, pumped it also up. got you fired up <laughs> yeah did that get you fired up <laughs> let's do <laughs> this <laughs> Did it I'm make you want to pull an to Owen, Sch- right. Owen Schmidt oh! and just bang your ba- yeah. 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 <laughs> bang your head? Hey! Again. Yeah. Let's freaking go! Well, listen. I think uh, before this, yeah, wait. Note. We have wait. There's a there's a team that we have to talk about, uh, Kevin. Yeah. Well, let's let Bob start it off for this one. What team is that? Who the hell? <laughs> what, the, play- the now playoff bound most points in their in their history in a single oh, season. God. That's yeah, guys. Course, I I told you I had a Philadelphia Union who, uh, unlike the Phillies, were able to oh, actually you know that's sustain great. some solid play throughout the season and lead a team into the playoffs in what has been a uh, a division well a conference sort of. Uh, Listen, I'll say this. Uh, I told you guys I had to go at 830. I'm out of here. All right. (laughs) You guys have fun with the union. Listen, I'll say. No, you're not. No, I'm seriously. I'm out. All right, peace, man. Um, He rage quits? Let me say this about the union. I feel I feel like an idiot because I told everybody to like, hey, if you ever watch one union game, watch the U.S. Open Cup final. They're playing well. They're a Philly team. They could win a trophy. And then they went out and they absolutely played like horse shit. And then I'm like kind of mad because I'm like, I told all these like, people watch the game you know maybe a philly team wins a trophy or whatever and they went out and played the crap and then of course they go out then a week later and they beat the shit out of somebody five to one at home so i don't i'm happy for them i'm happy that they got 15 wins it looks like they're gonna they have a they control russ their own destiny for a home playoff game and uh i haven't seen a home play there's only been one home playoff game in the entire existence of the franchise so that would be cool i mean you know 15 wins is, is a is a Russ is typing radioactive, radioactive into the... Oh, no, that's Bob <laughs> typing radioactive. No, that's Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. He's typing Imagine Dragons oh. lyrics into the thing. Um, but listen, 15 wins is the most in franchise history. 50 points is the most in franchise history. This team was crap not long ago, and they've been amazing ever since. So great job by Jim Curtin. Great job by these guys getting it turned around. Home playoff game at Town Energy Stadium. Sign me up, dude. I'll be there. I think I might have to go yeah. down for it. If you've never been out to a game at Italian Energy, uh, formerly PPL Park, you've got to get out. It is a great atmosphere. I would actually say that the uh, the game day atmosphere, especially if you're by the Sons of Ben, and if the Sons of Ben show up, uh, it it rivals pretty much any other sport or any other experience. Well, there you go. Let's wrap town. it up on a on a positive note. How about that? Because we want everybody yeah, to start their good. day on a on with positivity, right? This is a pos- this is a positive uh, podcast that we like to do. This is the pos- the posi- the posipod, the positivity pod, the people's pod. And now pod. we're going to leave you with Good. Imagine Dragons. No, we're not. No, we are not. 
Or maybe we will. All right, so uh, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast with Bob and Anthony. They are, uh, I think, going into some hibernation for a little bit uh, as the Phillies uh, collapse and they are no longer in. But go find their show, and I'm sure they'll be back soon. Snow the Goalie with uh, Anthony and I. Actually, Anthony and I are going to record in about an hour for Snow the Goalie. Oh, and speaking of Jordan Wheel, we had him on the last episode. So uh, if you're looking for a, uh, an interview where you can listen to a professional hockey player talk about minor league hockey fans in Canada drinking beer out of a prosthetic leg, uh, by all means, please go check out the most recent episode of Snow the Goalie. Of course, we've got It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with uh, Kevin over there and uh, Dave Zeitlin. And of course, uh, Crossing Broad FC. Phil and I were on the phone this morning uh, figuring out what our show sheet's going to be. So that'll be intense. And uh, of course, you know, go follow these guys. Uh, they're... Uh, Twitter handles are in the description. They are hyperlinked. All you have to do is click on their names, and you can go follow them on Twitter. Bob is at BW Crossing Broad. Kevin is at or is uh, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. And of course, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back uh, later this week with another show for uh, the most positive podcast in Philadelphia Peace sports. Out.